Hi, welcome to JP Morgan TV. I'm Tom Solopek from Cross Asset Strategy. I'm joined by uh, Jay Barry, co-head of the U.S. Rate Strategy. Jay, welcome to the program. Uh, we've had a couple of big shifts in terms of the data, in terms of our, our economist views. For instance, the leg of our probability tree pointing to imminent recession seems to have disappeared. The recession probabilities have shrunk down to around two thirds in total. Uh, down from around 75 and Goldilocks has, has shifted from the 20s to around 35%. How have your rates, expectations, your targets evolved in light, in light of this recent data? Yeah, thanks, Tom. I think certainly it's it's been a bit of a, of a shift here over the last month or so. And with the change to growth expectations um, that you've talked about that the U.S. economics team has made, taking out the recession call, but really just raising growth forecasts for the rest of this year and somewhat into 2024, but also, I think equally as important, pushing the expected first ease from the second quarter of 24 into the third quarter and at a slower pace than we previously expected has got significant implications for rate levels. So um, due to these factor shifts, we've actually raised our year end targets for 2023 from three and a half percent up to, to 385. And we raised targets into 2024 as well. So you know, I think our thought process for quite some time here has been that it will become safer to own um, risk-free product um, as you get closer to the end of the Fed tightening cycle. And certainly we feel comfortable that with the data flow that we've had over the past number of weeks that the Fed should go on pause in September. But at the same time, because inflation is sort of coming from the upside of the Fed's target, um, because the Fed is likely to be on hold for more than a year, that this is going to mean that the, the, the rally to expect in US fixed income, the decline in yields that you'd expect coming out of a Fed on hold period is likely to be smaller um, than, than we've seen after, after prior Fed on hold episodes. So that was one of the motivations to sort of make the shift to our interest rate forecast that we did to accommodate what seems to be a wider landing strip for, for this sort of soft landing that you've talked about. Now, in terms of what's driving rates markets right now, do you think it's the data that's doing it? Is it something else? Is it more of a supply demand issue? Also, there's the picture of what's going on in the rest of the world with uh, U.S. yields sticking up. Are they dragging up everybody else? You've, you've had a relaxation of YCC in Japan. What do you think is driving markets right now? Last week was a, um, a pretty vicious week in the, in the U.S. rates market. And I think there are three distinct things that people were sort of focusing on over the course of the week that could have impacted rate levels. Um, and first, I don't think locally it was actually the data flow that's been impacting things. Um, two, you know, you talk about the supply side of the equation. At the beginning of last week, the Treasury Department um, announced its quarterly financing estimates, which came in for the second half of this year over $250 billion higher than we had expected. Um, after adjusting for expected shifts in the Treasury's cash balance. Um, and that sort of lent itself towards expectations of somewhat higher supply for the balance of this year. But on Wednesday, I think what caught the market off sides was when Treasury announced increases to its coupon auctions. It sort of telegraphed that this was likely to be something that would be necessary in the coming quarters as well. And this was no surprise to us, our own issuance forecasts through 2024 had incorporated the expectation that the treasury would continue to increase auction sizes through to the summer of 2024. But I think this is a little bit surprising for the markets because it's going to mean a lot more duration supply in the coming year. And while we are estimating that this year is likely going to be somewhere in the vicinity of 2.3 to 2.4 trillion 10-year treasury equivalents in supply, that's likely to rise to above 3 trillion next year. 
And it's going to be a significant increase in duration supply that's going to sort of move forward with. So I think that is something that was a catalyst for the move to rates to start to move higher last week. And then sort of the fuel to the fire came from two different points. The first is that since the regional banking flare up in March, treasuries have been trading with a bit of a premium relative to their drivers. And in our fair value framework, we look at treasuries as a function of how the market is pricing Fed policy, inflation and growth expectations. We've unwound that premium over the last week or two and treasuries are back at fair value really for the first time since March. <clears throat> the second I think is technical and related to positioning that we've seen as we've approached the end of the um, Fed tightening cycle, investors have become more comfortable adding duration exposure as well. And our treasury client survey for the last number of weeks has been flagging relatively long. Um, on the longer end of where it's been over the last decade or so, and that really matters because we have found that position indicators, in particular our treasury client survey, can when they move to extreme levels be treated in a contrarian fashion because they often indicate that rates are going to move back in the opposite direction. So to the extent that some of these duration longs have been unwound, I think this has been responsible for the move as well. And then to your final point, I absolutely do think that global policy is impacting US rates. In other periods where global central banks have made um, significant changes to their policies, um, that has been impactful on U.S. rates. And we saw the first time that the YCC ban was widened back in December, U.S. rates moved higher. So the fact that JGB yields continue to climb as well, I think, is also acting to, to move long-term interest rates somewhat higher as well. Now, now, maybe if I can pivot this question to you, Tom, you know, we've talked about, you've asked me about my forecast changes. Um, this sort of higher for longer story where the U.S. economy is a bit more resilient and the Fed's not expected to be easing until much later next year. How is this impacting your asset allocation view? We have a lot of long term drivers that we look at, you know, on, on my side, we're tasked with looking at the three to five year outlook as well. And it's very difficult to go from the from the tactical view to the long-term view until we've uh, gone through a recession. And now the thing is, is that uh, when we have this Goldilocks type data coming in, uh, it, it complicates the, the view in terms of uh, how to position. It's kind of like you're going up in a roller coaster and, and you see the, the turn at some point, but, but things maybe still feel fine from the business cycle perspective. Um, so, so I would say that on, what we've done in a lot of cases is we, we have a pretty varied playbook. And so if we're in a mode where, uh, let's say we, we are in slow growth, but at some point we can transition into negative growth, we can look across the field, let's say, example, inequities. Um, if you think you're in a mode of slowing growth, you can find sectors you like, for instance, like healthcare in the U.S. Or, you know, conversely, if you think you're... Uh, uh, going into recession imminently, you can lean towards defensives and it's a matter of finding defensives at a reasonable price. You know, at the same time, you can also look at uh, things that are, you would argue, completely wrong for the phase of the business cycle you're in. For instance, let's say energy or, or insurance, uh, things that have gotten cheap enough to, to be compelling. Uh, and so even if it's the wrong thing for this phase of the business cycle, you can still consider it. Finally, you can also look to, to, to regional diversification in the sense that you would find a country region that's in a completely different phase of the business cycle. And I would point to Japan with the relaxation of YCC, 
uh, at the point where we have the elimination of YCC and negative interest rates, that should warrant upward re-rating in Japanese stocks as a signal you're leaving the, this kind of deflationary world, disinflationary world they've been in for decades. Um, so it's a pretty varied approach, but at the same time, it's a reflection of the uncertainty in the economic environment, which are, you could argue has become even more uncertain as the odds have, have moved a little bit closer to even in terms of uh, Goldilocks versus recession in, in a year or so. Great. Thanks for joining us, Jay, and uh, thank you all for tuning in to JP Morgan TV.